Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you from my office in the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. It's a... uh, uh, It's a, a... It's a university institution, but the show is not from the university. I don't speak for the university. It does not speak for me, Uh, although it does pay me to be here in the summers uh, overseeing the uh, constant beehive-like activity of the uh, post-graduation history department here at ECU. It is also very smoky here in Greenville, North Carolina today, June 13, 2008, uh, there are wildfires burning in the eastern half of the state. Uh, some 63 square miles burned at last count. And beginning yesterday afternoon, <clears throat> pardon me, the smoke rolled into Greenville, and we are now uh, under a blanket of uh, a, a smog as if we were in Los Angeles or, or perhaps Florida where they have the wildfires. It's quite interesting. The, the smoke is unpleasant, uh, but not unbearable. It has the kind of smoky smell when associated to the bonfire or a campfire. But it does bring to mind, from the historical point of view, the notion that we we study the uh, sights of the past, uh, to some degree the sounds of the past, but not very often the smells of the past, and certainly not uh, in any visceral way. Books cannot really convey, other than through descriptive words, what for example, a Civil War battlefield must have smelled like after 
uh, a day or so later. Uh, certainly we can read all kinds of words describing the revulsion, the horror, but it's one of those things that, that, that you can't understand until experiencing it, which fortunately no one here has ever had to do in terms of uh, the Civil War. But uh, uh, living in this atmosphere of, of constant smoke for the last several days has brought to mind the, the, the strong, uh, dominant sensory uh, impact that smell has. And I wonder if there's not a dissertation topic out there on smells of the Civil War. There was a book written not too long ago that tried to look at the auditory uh, world of, of the past. There are several books, actually, on this topic now where historians try to study past sounds and, and see if the audio world of the past differed from ours. But uh, evidence evidence is a serious problem. Uh, uh, the sounds themselves die instantly, and as soon as we say the words, they're gone. So it's not quite literally possible to capture sounds of the past, and that makes that kind of writing problematic, but worth a try. Well, so it's smoky, but, uh, but otherwise pleasant here. We will be having on our show next week at this time uh, Jim Campy of the Civil War Preservation Trust, and look forward to an interesting conversation about uh, Civil War battlefields and other historic sites and the efforts being made to preserve them. Our show today, uh, appropriate for Friday uh, the 13th of, of this month, is about uh, an unsuccessful preservation attempt, or so it appears to be. That is to say, it is uh, a show about the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we will not be having a guest on the show. I'll be uh, chatting with you myself today about the museum, my experiences there, its history, uh, where it's been, and I would say where it's going, but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. But uh, why why the uh, museum is scheduled to close at the end of this month, on June 30, 2008. Well, the museum is, uh, and I'll still use the present tense, although you may be listening to this long after the closing, uh, the museum is one of the uh, really outstanding museums dealing with the life and times of Abraham Lincoln. It is... Uh, it, it's a place I know well, having worked there for nine years, and so everything I see in the show will be biased by my own experience there, but hopefully informed by it as well. I almost did not end up working there when I was in graduate school at uh, at Harvard, as listeners of the show may have heard me say seven or eight hundred times. Uh, one day the phone rang, and I picked it up, and someone said, Hi, I'm calling from Lincoln National Life Insurance Company. And my instant reflex, of course, was to hang up. This was the almost uh, caricature life insurance salesman call, <clears throat> calling me a young person at the time with no family or particular need of life insurance. And uh, somehow I didn't slam the phone down. The person identified themselves further and explained they were not selling anything. They wanted to know if I was interested in a job as a historian at a history museum. Well, as anyone who has gotten a Ph.D. in history can tell you, uh, the word job sets off a Pavlovian reaction uh, of a job, a job, any job, yes, yes, I'll take it, uh, is what I was thinking. But I asked them a little more information and discovered that uh, 
in, in the Lincoln Company, originally called Lincoln National Life Insurance, had started a, a museum uh, many years earlier, and now was interested in expanding it further. So I said, sure, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I'll, I'll come out and uh, interview with you in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where the museum is. And I did that and uh, saw what they had, a uh, perfectly respectable uh, sort of place, uh, maybe 20 years old in terms of its exhibit technology. This was in 1993, so the exhibit had been built in the 70s, the one that was up at that time. But they had some interesting artifacts, uh, some real potential, uh, and uh, most of all, it was a job. So I said, yes, I'm very interested. Uh, not too long later, I got the phone call saying, um, sorry, we've hired someone else. And I was quite disappointed, and uh, that was, I thought, the end of that. But it turned out, a few weeks after that, I got another phone call saying the the other person we hired, it turned out, did not actually meet the qualifications uh, in our job description. They uh, uh, Somewhere, we'll charitably say, there was some misunderstanding, miscommunication as to what the person's qualifications were and what their... Uh, and what the museum was looking for. This picture was complicated by the fact that the other applicant was the uh, nephew of the person who, to whom the museum director reported, the, the person one rank below the CEO of the corporation itself and directly responsible for the museum. And since her nephew was my rival for the job, uh, which I didn't know at the time, it was no surprise that he got the job and it was no surprise when he was disinvited and I did get the job that uh, that person higher up the chain did not like me. Uh, that would that would have echoes in the years to come. But what about the museum itself? Let us go back to its, its history. That's just how I got there back in 1993. The museum was started in 1928, but we can go back even further. People often asked me when I worked there, why is there a museum about Abraham Lincoln in Fort Wayne, Indiana? Did Lincoln live there? Did he, no, did he sleep there? Did, like George Washington, who apparently slept his way through the colonies uh, and town after town. Uh, why, why a Lincoln Museum in Northeast Indiana? The answer, uh, as I told many Kiwanis groups and Rotary clubs and so on over the years and, and lunchtime talks. The answer takes us back to 1860 when Abraham Lincoln was thinking about running for president and was invited to give what would become famous as the Cooper Union speech in New York City. He took the train eastward from Springfield across the prairie to Indianapolis and then it veered northeast and on, uh, oh, I've forgotten the date, mid-February, 15th or 16th maybe, uh, earlier than that perhaps, mid-February 1860, the train stopped uh, at 1 in the morning in Fort Wayne, where Lincoln got off the train, got on another train that was waiting, uh, completed the change, and left never to return. So Lincoln's connection to Fort Wayne was one visit lasting a matter of minutes uh, to change trains. This in itself would seem inadequate to uh, to uh, justify a museum, uh, a substantial museum. And there is actually more to the story. 
indeed, the visit was so uh, insubstantial that if you go to Fort Wayne today, you can look for the spot where Lincoln set foot in that town, but it's not easy to find. Uh, it is commemorated by the, the existence of Mike's Car Wash on South Clinton, uh, around 1300 South Clinton. That car wash is where the old rail railroad station was. If you go to the current old abandoned depot, that is the new old abandoned depot. The old old abandoned depot was long since torn down. The current one, I think, is being refurbished for office space. Uh, it was uh, five years ago. I don't know if they've made progress. So Lincoln's connection to Fort Wayne, a tenuous one at best. Uh, but when his train came back in 1865, uh, the, the funeral train, this one did not stop in Fort Wayne, did not go through Fort Wayne, in fact, went through northern Indiana, through Michigan City, and to Chicago. But uh, at one point it did also go through Indianapolis, and a young woman who was on one of the committees to supply uh, fresh flowers for the funeral that was held in Indianapolis um, was a, a, uh, a woman who admired Lincoln, kept a single rose from the, the funeral as a, a souvenir, and passed it on to her son, Arthur, who grew up in the late 19th century with an equal admiration and devotion to the memory of Abraham Lincoln. And he treasured that faded rose pressed in a little wooden box behind a pane of glass with information explaining that it came from the funeral of Abraham Lincoln. Well, in 1905, this fellow Hall, Arthur Hall, decided to start a life insurance company, and he at the time was living in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Life insurance then, as now, was a, a dirty business. Uh, there was lots of uh, chicanery and, and uh, deceit and people losing their, their money and companies not fulfilling their promises. So Hall wanted to give his company a name that would suggest that it had some integrity, that it would actually do what it promised to do, that it would not uh, betray its uh, shareholders, its uh, investors, its policyholders. And so he chose the name of his idol, Abraham Lincoln, and sought to name the company the Lincoln National Life Insurance Company. The immediate drawback to doing that is that uh, he would thus be stealing the Lincoln name for his own personal benefit, and he recognized that was not quite appropriate. So he wrote to Robert Todd Lincoln, the oldest son of the president, the only of the four boys still living at that time, not a boy himself. Uh, he had been minister to England by this time and secretary of war and other things. Uh, Arthur Hall wrote to uh, Robert Lincoln, capitalist to capitalist, and explained what he wished to do as far as naming the company. Robert saw no problem with this and sent, wrote a letter to, to that effect in which he also enclosed a photograph, um, the, the, the one that used to appear on the $5 bill, not the more recent $5 bill one, but the original such uh, image, uh, mailed a copy of that back to Hall and said, you're welcome to use this uh, on your letterhead or as a logo or whatever. So the Lincoln National Life Insurance Company was born with the blessing of the Lincoln family. And the company prospered. Uh, you can read 
uh, if you're interested uh, in the history of the company itself, a, a book called Easy to Remember by Mark E. Neely, Jr., who uh, we'll come across later in our story today. And a more recent, uh, that was written, I think, in the 70s or 80s, a more recent history, 90 Years and Growing, by uh, Michael Hawfield, a history of, another history of the Lincoln Life Insurance Company uh, that takes its story up to 1995. And both will tell you how the company began by initially selling policies and collecting uh, the, collecting uh, the, the proceeds from the, the people buying the policies, the premiums, I knew there was a word for it, uh, and using those to pay out those who eventually made claims, which sounds to me like a Ponzi scheme, uh, a sort of pyramid uh, situation, which many of the early life insurance companies actually were. You, if you got in early and got paid out by the latecomers, you did all right, but eventually there were lots of claims and few people to pay them, and things went bad. Well, Lincoln was run on a more sound basis than that, and did eventually uh, prosper and do well, and into the 19-teens and 1920s, it became quite a successful company. So much so that in 1928, Arthur Hall decided it was time to do something to repay the Lincoln family for the use of the name. And he tried to figure out how best to, to do this. He happened to meet, and I've forgotten exactly how they met, an itinerant uh, preacher and amateur historian named Lewis Warren, who was very interested in Abraham Lincoln. And Hall hired Warren, gave him an office, and the charge to do something Lincoln. No specific uh, guidance beyond that. So Hall began first to publish a one-page newsletter every week, uh, one side of one sheet of paper, called Lincoln Lore, that would contain little tidbits of Lincoln information that uh, editors could use to fill out the bottoms of columns in newspapers or uh, people could use in, in uh, church newsletters or uh, speakers could use in their talks, just little bits of interesting Lincoln stuff. And Lincoln Lore began to come out on a weekly basis. It would eventually expand from one sheet, one side, to a, a four-page, uh, one large sheet folded uh, size, and uh, eventually to 16 and, and possibly 32 pages uh, by the time, uh, by the present time. Uh, it continues uh, as of uh, 2008, the longest-running, continually published periodical dealing with Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I presume that will end along with the uh, disbandment of the staff and the closing of the museum at the end of this month, June 2008. But uh, for still another week or two, it's the longest-running, continuously published publication dealing with Abraham Lincoln. So Warren publishes Lincoln Lore, and he answers questions. People at the Lincoln, as they used to call the company, would often want to quote Abraham Lincoln or mention him in a speech, and they found that Lewis Warren could supply them with information. And they also would occasionally bring in things, or he himself would find things, physical objects or documents dealing with Lincoln, and he began to collect them. And his office soon was full of Lincoln stuff. As the 20s moved into the 30s with the Great Depression, uh, Warren began to find more and more stuff. 
and other people's bad economic fortune could become his good fortune as a Lincoln collector. Uh, one Kentucky courthouse uh, was disposing of uh, the boxes and boxes of public records, just throwing them out on the courthouse lawn when Warren happened by and rescued them, uh, collecting material relating to Lincoln's early life that way. By 1933, the office was big enough and had enough stuff in it that people came to see it, and they renamed it the Lincoln Museum, gave it a new, gave him a new room with some glass cases, and thus was born uh, the institution uh, that would live on till 2008, the Lincoln Museum. We'll talk more in just a minute about what happened to the museum, how it grew, what it accomplished, what it has in it. Uh, and maybe where all of its uh, things will go. We'll do that when we come back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. 